The title tonight is we're going to be responding, a right response to God's voice. Aren't you glad that God's voice never goes out? Okay, we could just, just preach on that for about 20 minutes and we'd have a great service. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, as we're going to be continuing, picking up our series really from the life of David and um, how he is demonstrating what a heart after God's heart looks like. And um, tonight, uh, so we're going to pick it up in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. In verse number 18, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse number 18, just a quick reminder, this Sunday night, the 28th, we are going to have uh, Joel Scuffham and his family, they are missionaries to Cambodia, they're going to be with us in the evening service, and so pastor only had to preach in the morning service, and we'll have somebody else preaching for the evening service, and so uh, looking forward to that, and uh, looking forward to having a missionary in, just reminding us, uh, we don't support them yet, um, but the prayer request is... The reason we have missions conferences and all of that, there's more missionaries going because there's not even enough missionaries going to reach the people we have. And we, there's, the ones that are going don't even have enough support. And so we need to pray that the Lord would build us in that direction. And so looking forward to that. But um, verse number 18 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is after Nathan the prophet. Let's read just verse number 17. According to all these words... And according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is this my house that thou hast brought, us hither, brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? What can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own voice, that hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went, went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods? For thou hast confirmed to, to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, that would be referring to his household, to his lineage, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in house. Therefore hath thy servant found it in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true. 
and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. This is David's prayer in response to the word of God telling him that he was not going to build the temple, but rather that God was going to establish the kingdom of David. So we're going back a couple weeks. There was where God gave the Davidic covenant, where God established his promises to David and to his seed, that his kingdom was going to be established forever. But David, you're not going to build the temple. You're not going to, your plans are not my plans. And here David demonstrates what a heart after God, how a right heart will respond when God speaks. How did David respond? He praised God and he said, Lord, whatever your word is, that's what you do. He, he submitted to the word of God. And so let's, let's pray. I gave you half the sermon right there, but let's pray. Ask the Lord's help and let's get in. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you do still speak today. Lord, that you have good plans for our lives. I pray, Lord, just for your help, even with my voice, that you would just give strength, Lord, and that I pray most importantly that we could understand your voice, understand your word, Lord. I just pray that even here in the midst of us that you would speak to us, that you would meet with us, and, Lord, that we would leave here knowing that we know you and have heard from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are voices that we ignore, and there are voices that we listen to. When there comes the spam call saying we'd like to, you'd like to purchase extended warranty on your car, I remember the first time I started getting those, I owned a 2002 Ford Explorer with about 180,000 miles on it. Um, the AC didn't work in it, and a few other things, and they're going, we'd like to sell you an extended warranty. And I'm like, ha, 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 no thanks. I, okay, when that type of voice comes, you go, I'm not listening to you, okay? If you grew up with siblings and one of your siblings was coming and they wanted to borrow something of yours or they wanted to uh, do something that, sometimes you say, I don't hear you. I'm not listening to what you're saying. But then when mama called out, especially when she included your middle name, uh, you, your ears perked up a little bit. You said, I, I better listen to what's going on. Uh, but then... There's, a, there's even a difference between listening and responding correctly. Okay, how many have seen in the, toys, in the toy aisle there at Walmart or Target or whatever, there's the little kid who's listening to the voice of their parents, but they're not responding right. Okay, they're kicking their feet, they're dragging, they're saying, you know, they're going with their parents, but they're making it very clear they're not happy about it. And they're not in agreement with the voice of their parents. There are times that God speaks to us and we don't agree with the voice of God. 
Or that God speaks. There's oftentimes that God speaks to us that he does not speak in the way we wanted him to speak. And a good indicator of whether your heart is right with God or not is how you respond when God speaks. Okay, let's set the context. It feels like it's been about 600 years since we've been here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so I will be brief um, or my voice will go out one or the other. Uh, but let's, set the, uh, let's just set the context a little bit so we can understand what's going on. God has established David as the king. Okay, he has, um, he's the new king over all Israel. His family has been established. He now has sons that can take the throne from him. He has a beautiful palace that has been built for him. Um, he is now king over all Israel. Everything has been set up for David. David brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. That has been successfully housed there in the city of Jerusalem. Things are looking up. And then David looks at the beautiful palace that he has. He looks at the temporary simple tent that God dwells in. He knew that God didn't dwell in the tent, but that was the symbolic presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And it seemed very out of place that David had a house while God had a tent. By the way, that's, David didn't have a bad idea here. He didn't have a wrong heart. He had a good motive. I want to build a house for God. And so David called the man of God. He called Nathan the prophet and said, this is what I want to do. Nathan said, man, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go ahead and do that. But God's will is not carried out by the best plans of man. God's will is carried out when men are obedient to God's plans. And so Nathan went home that night and God spoke to Nathan. God gave him a revelation because the book of 2 Samuel had not been written yet. God still spoke in dreams and visions at that time. There is not an open revelation like that at this time. We have the word of God. God speaks through the principles of his word today. And so you're not going to get a message like Nathan got. But God still speaks to us today. And so the great shepherd sent a message back to the shepherd king and began to reveal to David, God reminded David, um, by the way, this isn't the first time I've lived in a tent, David. Um, I created the, I ordered Moses to build the tabernacle. Um, oh, back about 430 years ago, uh, before the times of the judges, before you were even thought of, before they even moved into the promised land. You know, that's when we built the tabernacle and I've walked with the children of Israel all during that time. You know what God's reminding David of? I've been around a lot longer than you have, bud. Um, just, right? Just think about that, because David's like, man, this is a new problem. Um, David, I've lived in the tabernacle since Mount Sinai. That's a long time. Okay, God, God's just saying, what you think is a major problem is not that big of a problem, David. Okay? Um, I am still God. I... I am not in need of a temple. I'm in need. I desire servants who are going to simply obey my will. And so God reminds David of that. Then God reminds David of the, the grace that has been in his life. Um, you used to just be a little shepherd boy. 
about six miles away from the city of Jerusalem. That's where you grew up. You were the youngest in your family. Okay? Now, I'm number three in my family, so I have no idea what it means to be the youngest. Um, but in that culture, the youngest meant you were at the end of the inheritance list. Okay? Who would, even if David had come from a royal family, who would have been last in line to be king? Think about it. David. He wasn't top of... Sorry. He wasn't at the top of the line here. He wasn't... Everyone was clamoring for David. No, he was the one who was forgotten about when the prophet Samuel came over to dinner. Samuel said, we're not eating till you get David. Then somebody got excited about going and getting David. They weren't going to bring David even to the meal. Well, somebody had to watch the sheep. That's who David was. And God said, don't you remember that you were the shepherd there? But I've been with you the whole time. I've walked with you. I've protected you from all the crazy Saul, from all of the Philistines, from all of that. I've brought you through that. I've established you as a, um, as a king here. David had never been from a, from a kingly tribe. Judah had never been even the ruling tribe of Israel. And yet God had said, David, you're going to be the next king over Israel. He said, okay, you need to remember who I am. You need to remember who you are. But now let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you about my plans. Your children are going to come after you, and I'm going to establish a sure house for you. He made an everlasting covenant with David and his family that's only going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. By the way, God's promises to David are still in place. They're still in place. Um, David would one day pass off the scene, but God would continue to work through David's son's lives. In God speaking to David, he only made a passing mention that Solomon would be the one who would build the magnificent temple for the name of God. He said, your son, he's going to build the temple, but you're not. Other passages reveal God didn't let David build the temple because David was a warrior. He was a man with blood on his hands. He was a man who had fought many battles. Solomon would be a man of peace. And it was a man of peace who would build the temple of God where God could make peace between man and God as a symbolic of that. But no one was missing out on the presence of God without the temple. God wasn't any less real because there wasn't a physical temple. God wasn't any, God still had the tabernacle that was fully functioning. There were still the sacrifices that were being offered. Things were still a go, um, going according to the plan of God. God didn't need the glorious temple to make himself glorious. He said, I, that is in my plans, but it is no for you. It's going to come later in the future. Through David's sons would come the Deliverer, would come the Savior, who would, um, who would save the world from their sins. Jesus Christ is the Son of David. Okay, that's, Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus Christ was a direct 
descendant of King David in fulfillment of these prophecies right here, which is why um, Jesus is a fulfillment of that. And the only way they can be fulfilled, that the, king, that the, um, the kingdom, the house of David, is going to be established forever, that is, without end, is because the, the very God would come in the flesh, the book of John, um, is going to come there through the seed of David. God's eternal plans are going to be accomplished through that. David, God told David, there's going to be times you're going to fail me. There's going to be times your sons are going to fail me. But my promises are still going to go forward. Um, one commentator helped us out this way. He said this, just describing it. God's promises, death would not annul it. Sin could not destroy God's promises. Time would not exhaust God's promises. By the way, that is still true today. That um, time does not exhaust God's promises. You're not going to reach a time where there's the expired stamp on God's promises. Well, it's the 21st century. It just doesn't work anymore. No, if God has said, this is what I've promised, it has unexpirable on it. It does not go out. Even our own failures can't mess it up. Okay? Now, people mess up and don't get to enjoy God's promises, but it doesn't change what God is going to continue to do. And we can trust that God is still going to accomplish because He is the eternal God. He was there before David. He was going to be there, and He is still there thousands of years after David, still fulfilling His plans. God had His promises, and despite all of the attempts, we even looked at it the last time we were here, we just did a quick overview of history from the Crusades, from Haman in the book of Esther to Hitler's Holocaust, how many attempts have been made to thwart the plan and the promises of God through the seed of David. Hasn't overcome God's promises. The Jewish nation still exists. They're still God's people. And God is still accomplishing His plans. But we do need to understand that was, the mess, we, that was the message that Nathan delivered to David from God. David did not hear the audible voice of God. He heard Nathan the prophet tell him, this is what God has said. God had spoken to David and told him, no, not yet. You're not going to build the temple. David's wonderful dream of a temple, a glorious, magnificent temple for the Creator God, was going to have to wait until David was dead and gone. David would never see that temple. David um, would prepare greatly for it, but he would never see that. Every time God speaks to you, it's not going to be exactly what you want to hear. Sometimes God tells you no. You're praying for something. And God tells you no. Sometimes God tells you not now. Often when you hear God's voice, it's the voice of correction. Often when God speaks to his people, he's telling them, you're wrong. You're not where you need to be. You're not where you're supposed to be. How many have ever thought you're doing a really, really good job? And then all of a sudden tells somebody, says, you're doing that all wrong. you got to go way back to the beginning and start all over again because it's not going to work. How many like that? How many say, 
I'm just going to ignore it and keep doing it my way. Sometimes you can get away with that. But when it comes to the voice of God who knows the beginning from the ending, it's you're not going to continue to follow God and not pay attention to the voice of God. Hello, right? It's, it's not going to work there. And so after hearing God speak to him through the prophet, what did David do? The Bible says, let's look at it real quick. Verse number 18. That was the introduction. Now we're to the sermon. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. So there was the tent there that the Ark of the Covenant was in, in the city of Jerusalem. And so only the high priest could actually go into where the Ark of the Covenant was, but he would have gone there to the tent that housed the Ark of the Covenant. He would have sat down there as a king. Notice, he didn't go there and stand before the Lord. He went and sat down. Right there is even a position of humility. I'm going to lower myself. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit in here. We don't hear David kicking his feet going, woe is me, God, why wouldn't you let me build a temple? God, I really wanted to do this. No, what do we hear? He says, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? When God spoke to him, David responded first with great humility. Humility. Okay? David understood, who am I? I'm not special. I'm not worthy of God's blessings. I know that you're the one who brought me hitherto. The idea there, be, thou hast brought me, is in the Hebrew is one word, one, um, one verb, and it's a causative verb saying, Lord, I know that the reason I'm here is because your hand has brought me here. David's saying, I'm kind of like the turtle on the fence post. I didn't get here by myself, right? Uh, somebody else got me here. This wasn't through my ability. David did not let, quote-unquote, success forget that he was still just a shepherd boy. David understood he wasn't from a ruling family or a kingly line. It was God's grace that had orchestrated, that had brought David's life uh, to bring him to this point. Think about this. In the city of Jerusalem, David is only six miles from where he grew up. But oh, how far God has brought him. From the little boy and a shepherd's field to now he is the king over all Israel. And he's saying, who am I that you've done already done all this in my life? That you've protected me from Saul, that you've brought me this far. Lord, I am humbled by all you have already done in my life. Then he says, verse number 20, verse number 19, excuse me, and this thing was yet a small thing in thy sight, but thou O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. Lord, if you'd only brought me to this point, that's amazing. But when you spoke to me, you told about all that you wanted to do in the future. As, and that makes all you've already done seem like a small thing, insignificant. Okay? You've done all this. Wow. 
But when I look at all you've promised to do just now to me, that makes even this look tiny and insignificant. And he says this, and is this the manner of men, O Lord God? Okay, is this the manner? Okay, what, what, what exactly that phrase is, there's some debate. Um, here's my simplest understanding, just keep it simple. Okay, manner, the word means the custom, okay, how things are supposed to be. And this is a question. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Okay, is, this is, David say, this isn't the th way things normally work out, that someone's promised a kingdom forever. Okay, I did a, just a teeny bit of research because I was running out of time. Between the year 3300 B.C. to around 300 B.C., the nation of Egypt only had about 31 different dynasties. In 3,000 years, they had about 31 different dynasties. I couldn't get a straight, uh, easy, straight answer, but how many different houses, how many different dynasties have only been in the, in the nation of England? You had the House of Tudor, the House of Stuart, the House of Lancaster, the House of York. I, I mean, just... I know those because I looked, tried to find the number. I have no idea. There are Windsor now or something like that, right? How many different houses have only been in the nation of um, the, the kingdom of England since only around 400 AD? 1,500 years. Okay? And yet this is somewhere around 1,000 years before Christ, 3,000 years before now, and God has promised there's going to be one dynasty forever. That's not the way it works according to man's. That's not what is natural. And yet that is what God has promised it. He said, this is amazing. I'm humbled by this. He says, what more can David say? It's, this is for thy word's sake according to thine own heart. The wonderful promises were straight from the good heart of God. These were not, this was not something David had come up, up with or David had prayed or sought. This was the good plan of God. Can I tell you this? God has your best at his heart and in his heart he knows what you need and he knows what the futures hold and he cares about you and the plans that God had for David were from the very heart of God for David and the plans that God has for your life are from his heart and he cares about what is going on in your life and he wants to work his plans in your life the same as he did for David think of and thank God that God has not just left this world up to a random bingo game chance or um bumper stops or whatever it happens to be, hither, thither, uh, per chance. No, God has specific plans that he is still accomplishing in this world that he wants to accomplish in your life if we'll simply get on board and do uh, follow along with him. Yes, God had told David he was not to build the temple, but God's plans for David were even greater than he could have imagined. The humility of this is important. And a big part of David's response to God's word is that humility. When you res a right response to God must start with humility. Who am I that you've already done this much in my life? Who am I that you even take notice of me? What is man that thou art mindful of him? The psalmist would say, David, by the way. Also this, 
He understood who was God and who was the servant. Seven times in his prayer, David refers to God as the Lord God. Okay? That's the two Hebrew names for God, Adonai and Yahweh, put together. He's saying, you're God completely. And nine times he refers to himself as a servant, as a slave. Not as an employee of God, as a slave of God. As someone who was completely under the leadership, to the whim, to the fancy, owned the property of God. The reason David say, listen, I'm your servant, and yet you want to do great things in my life. When we remember who God is, and we remember that we're a servant, it really helps us with that humility part and to submit to the voice of God. We don't have the right to choose whatever we want to do. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are bought with a price. You belong to him, and he is the Lord, and he has the right to teach us and to tell us what to do. David did not try to negotiate with God's refusal for him to build the temple, but he was overwhelmed with what God had done and what God had promised to do. How many times when someone says no, well, let me make a counteroffer, right? Well, let's... Is not that the way it works in, 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 in our society? If we don't like what one doctor says, we go to another doctor, get some different options. Well, I really don't like that. That doesn't work for me. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's try to talk this through. That's not what David did. When it came to God's voice, David said, who am I? And suddenly as David remember, as David is just so thankful and humbled by all that God had done for him already, all that God had promised for him in the future, he begins to pour out praises to God. It, one man put it this way, God's declarations stirred David's devotions. His promises ignited David's praises and prayers. That's how it should be. That God, what God said, did something in David's heart. It wasn't just, okay, no, it, it, David responded to what God said. Hey, um, pick it up in verse number uh, 20, uh, 22. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And he begins to go down and he begins to um, just continue to praise and to extol uh, the name of the Lord. And um, he begins to, he says, Wherefore thou art great. Great there is, um, it is a perfect tense verb. He says, There's none like you, Lord. And you've always been great. Perfect tense is the idea of this. It's a completed action. Okay? David's saying, you're, the, the verb normally there would be to become great. 
but he purposely says it in a perfect past acts of tense because God can't become great. He has always, always been as great as he always will be. God will never be less great than he has been. He's saying, God, you are great. There's none beside you. You are glorious and good in your character and your wisdom and in your deeds. There's none that can compare to you. There's, there's no rivals to your perfection or to your greatness. One of the many, one of what, what causes many of the problems that we struggle with in our thinking and in our lives is when we forget to apply the greatness of God in our situation. One of the preachers there at the conference preached through Isaiah chapter 40. It was fabulous. And he, he covered these verbs, um, these verses, Isaiah chapter 40, talking about the power of God. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Now, how many have ever tried to pick up a five-gallon bucket of water? The waters of the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Arctic, and all the oceans fit in the hollow of God's hand. And there's room to spare. And meted out heaven with a span. A span is from here to here. Hand with. We can't even, with our biggest telescopes, go across the expanse of this universe. And God goes, yep, that's it right there. Comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor hath taught him? Does God need a counselor? Does God need advice on anything? Has God ever had to say, let me think on that? With whom he took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. He taketh up the aisles as a very little thing. How many know that phrase, drop in a bucket, actually comes from the King James Bible? It comes from the Word of God. The things that worry us the most, how many are, are a little, should be concerned about Iran and about Russia and about Ukraine and about Israel and Hamas and all that. The greatest nations in the world, God says, it's a drop in the bucket. Okay. Because of the greatness of God. David goes... David go, continues to praise him. We're going to have to uh, hurry here. He goes, the greatness of God is revealed in his dealings with his people. And what David begins to do is he begins to go, Lord, you redeemed your people from Egypt. And you brought them out and you established that these are going to be your people forever. And you've blessed them with this land and you've blessed them with a king. He, he's done all these things. He's, he's delivered them. He made them his people. One man put it this way. There are three words that describe the people of God. Redeemed preserved, and privileged. Does not that describe the people of God today? 
that if, if you are God's child, it's because He has redeemed you. He has bought you from the slave market of sin so that you belong to Him. And He's preserved you. You're in the Father's hand. And uh, in Jesus' hand, He's in the Father's hand. Neither shall any man pluck them out of the Father's hand. But then the privileges that are there with being a child of God, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, that He has given us a church, that He's given us a preacher, that He's given us His words to be able to hear His voice on a daily basis where God can speak to us. God's saying, David's saying, what we have to praise you for. But that's not where David ended his prayer. Verse number 25, he continues. And now, O Lord God, let the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. Remember, this is David's response to God's voice telling him, no, you're not building the temple. And David prayed for God to establish. The idea there would be to ratify, to confirm, and do all and only what God had said. David here is praying for God's will, not his will. He is surrendered to what God has said. Everybody see that? He's saying, Lord... I'm humbled by all you've done for us. Lord, I'm praising you for who you are, and I'm surrendering to your will. You establish, you would do exactly what you've said. And then he ended his prayer by praying for, Lord, would you bless us for your glory? He says, Thou art, um, verse number 27, For the, um, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, has revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in house. Um, or verse number 26 was the one I was looking for. He says, let thy name be magnified forever. Let your name be lifted up. And it's an imperfect. So it's a continuous verb. And he asked for God's blessings on David's house so that God's name could be continually magnified and could continually lift it up down through time. Quickly, David responded to God's refusal to allow him to build the temple but God's promises of an everlasting house and throne by praising God for his past and future blessings and praying for God's will to be done for his glory. Right? Is that what David did? He, he praised God for his past blessings, for his future promises, and he prayed for God's will to be done. Be humbled and amazed by God's past goodness and future promises and be yielded to His present will for His glory. Okay, God hasn't spoken to us about an everlasting kingdom that's coming to the house of Andrew Montoro. No, praise God. Okay, that's the house of David. That's, that's not the promises that God has given us. But God is still speaking today and God has given promises to people in this day about how we are to serve him. And though God's voice, um, his, when God speaks, his plans and designs often overrule maybe our original intentions, maybe how we wanted to work things out, but we must respond to God's voice with a right heart. Are you going to try to renegotiate with God? And can we think this over a little bit, God? That's, I'm really not comfortable with that. I would, no, 
We're here to do His will, not our will. See, God has shown incredible power in the the past, and He has great promises for the future. You want to be humble? Just think about where you would be without Jesus Christ. Think about what He did on the cross to save you, how He redeemed us. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's because God Himself came and shed His blood on the cross for us. We have every... There's no... There's going to be no proud people in heaven. Be humble that God would save a sinner like you. Be amazed that God would use a sinner like you. Right? Okay, think about that. I grew up in a preacher's home. Doesn't mean I'm special. I had no idea that I was going to get to move out to Long Island and get to pastor a church. I get to get to own a beautiful building like this. I show pastors the picture of the building that God has given us. And I don't know how many of them are just drooling over the picture that is there. I tell them about the bell that still works and they're just like, oh man. Now, they're not wishing for all the other problems that come with the building and different things like that. But they look at that and they're like, wow, that's... It wasn't through some great planning that we got all this done. Community Baptist Church was already meeting in this building. I had no idea that this building existed. I just showed up and preached the first time. And Be amazed at what God has done and that God would even use people like us in His service. Be astonished at the future for a sinner saved by grace. If you've been saved by the grace of God, the future of a sinner, of a, of a person who is a, was a sinner by nature, who was under the wrath of God, is an eternity in the presence of God. Praising God? Think about that. What a future we have. I could tell you stories from now till my voice gives out, which may be short, which may be a very long time about the wonders of God's grace in sinners' lives. Think about Rahab. We're going to get to her on Sunday nights in the book of Joshua. A harlot in the city of Jericho. A city that was designated for the judgment of God. According to God's word, every person in that city was to die. And yet she put her faith in the living God and God rescued her from that city, brought her to the nation of Israel, brought her into the line of Judah so that she was the uh, the uh, great-great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother of King David. Her son was Boaz, who married Ruth, whose great-grandson was David. A harlot from Canaan into the family line of Jesus Christ. Talk about the grace of God. We think about the grace of God. This is what it's going to do. It's going to humble us. It's going to make us want to praise God. But then we need to take that and let it and apply that to our lives so that we say, Lord... Whatever you said, establish it and do it. Be humbled by what God has done. Be humbled by what God has promised. But be yielded to God's present will for your life. 
our reply should always be, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Can you pray with a full heart, do as you have promised for your glory? Lord, whatever that is, I'll be willing to do it. Lord, whatever, whatever you tell me to do, but it's only going to be for his glory and for our good. Because God's plans for us come from his heart, according to the good heart of God. Be humbled and amazed by God's past goodness and his future promises, but be yielded to his present will for his glory. Your response to when God speaks is a great indicator of whether you have a heart after God's heart or you're still holding on to your own way. Just be humbled and amazed by what God's already done. Say, Lord, whatever you need to do, do it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this evening and we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. We pray, Lord, that you just help us to love and to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll take a moment. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, you need to pray there at your seat. You need to come forward and pray. We'll just take a moment. Let's do some business with the Lord.